The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. Hi everyone, Macca19 here and you are listening to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live once again on Port Fan Radio. Look, Fishing Rick's not uh, here tonight, he's looking after his family, so we've got two guests on this evening. Uh, the first is the wonderful El Scorcho. How are you, buddy? Uh, good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty That's good. good. Looking Thank- forward to this one. Yes, me too. We're, you know, Obviously, a uh, season review, so I'll have a lot to say uh, given how the season's gone, so it should That's be good it. fun. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll try and make it fun anyway. <laughs> That's right. And for the first time this year, a massive welcome back to the great Schultzenfest. Hello. Great to have you back on, mate. My first time on live radio. Yeah, there we go. I'll try not to mention doing anything with my big heart, anything to anyone's gut. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So what we thought we would do is uh, we'd do a bit of a mid-season review, how we feel the season's gone for Port LA Footy Club so far. Uh, might be a little bit sombre at some points. Um, but look, what we will go through first is the, uh, the SANFL game yesterday. So Port played Adelaide at Albert and Oval um, on Sunday and lost for the first time to the Crows in the SANFL. We lost uh, 10 goals 9 to 13 goals 11. Uh, our captain Stevie Summerton kicked 3 and uh, Mitch Harvey kicked 2 for the Pies. Um, not a great game and it looked like uh, skills were very much an issue out there. Not just skills, but... The game plan was not working at all. I was, I don't know if you guys were at the game, but I was at the game on sort of the Port Club side. And just the entire game, there was always an uncontested Crows player waiting to get a mark on the wing and pump it inside 50. And there just never seemed to be anything done about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I didn't see this game, but I've noticed a lot this year we seem to, uh, teams seem to kind of back themselves in to be able to get the ball off of us across half back and then launch and they've almost got team uh, almost got guys set up uh, quite regularly against us in the SNFL ready to go forward and score um, and we, we seem to concede a lot of goals that way I guess at both levels but especially at SNFL level that's but, it I mean we've had uh, it looks like we had massive numbers out there I mean we we led the disposals by 60 but had 13 less inside 50 so it looks like our disposal was, was pretty poor but I mean, some players had huge numbers. I mean, Paul Stewart had 32 touches, 14 marks, and a goal. Um, only had two tackles, though, so I'm not sure what that says about his role in the team. Sammy Gray had 31 touches. Tommy Logan, 27. So looks like they were sharing it around quite a lot, but uh, couldn't really get anything going up forward. Well, without having seen the stat, I would guess that those six extra touches were all handballs. It was just one of those yep. games where we spent the whole time circling handballs around looking for the perfect outlet and never finding it. Mm. Uh, I've got the stats in front of me. We did have uh, eight more kicks, but yeah, uh, 50, almost 50 more handballs. So yeah, that that's reflected in that. I think uh, Stephen Summerton had 23 touches and 10 marks, but zero tackles. So similar along the lines to of, uh, to uh, Stuart there, where um, obviously sharing the ball around and chipping the ball around across our half-back line, but Teams have, uh, have been quite happy all year just to sit back against us and wait, soak up pressure, let us muck around with the ball in our kind of, you know, across the middle and half back as much as we want, knowing that we they can sit back and we can't hurt them. Well, that's right. I mean, it looks like the midfield was a bit of an issue. We won the, uh, the hit-outs quite convincingly, but um, got thumped in the clearances. So the, uh, the, the old hit-outs weren't uh, on target, I guess it seems. But 
Yeah, and we we also got smacked in the in the tackle stat as well. I think we had almost twenty less tackles. So I don't know. Was it work rate? Was it the forward line not functioning too well? So it shouldn't be work rate because the guys we had out there, sort of Stewart and Gray and Young, and then we've all got AFL experience. The Crows only had Pods and Jared Lyons who had AFL experience that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm Brody Martin. Yeah. And you'd think there was really no reason for us to lose that game on paper. Yeah, it seems to be a bit of a story at some point uh, in this season for the Maggies where... I don't know, it just doesn't seem to click at all. And, you know, it happened against Norwood, happened in uh, a bit earlier in the season as well. But, I don't know, it's just disappointing to lose to the Crows. You never want that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, I think teams set up quite well against us. And you can tell when we play the better drilled sides, and obviously the Crows being a, an AFL uh, reserve side. Similarly to Nord, they just set up and, you know, they're, they're professional in the way they get back and set up their... Um, set up their, their uh, flood and all that kind of thing. So uh, if we can't do it at AFL level with all the skill uh, we've got at AFL level, we're really going to struggle at, uh, at SNFL level to kind of move through that kind of press. Um, and we've struggled all year against those kind of really good organised sides. Um, sometimes we've been able to just outclass teams, but not it hasn't tended to happen against those kind of sides. I think there's something in that, considering that I think poor before this week was third and the Crows were either bottom or second bottom or something like that. But we've lost to teams like Brisbane and Carlton in the AFL as well, whereas we've beaten teams like the Bulldogs who don't set up, who didn't set up defensively against us. It seems that beating Port Adelaide is more about the game plan you play than actually having than beating them on talent. Yeah, absolutely. Norwood playing an AFL-style game plan and the Crows, who despite... We've beaten much better SANFL teams than the Crows deserve, but the Crows beat yeah. up with that game plan. Yeah. I think even uh, Geelong the week before in the AFL went went a bit head-to-head to us in the... Uh, head to a head against us in the first quarter, uh, and we were on top and we probably should have been further ahead, and they switched to a much more defensive kind of game. Well, they seemed to switch and, and keep their guys back and play a lot more defensively. Um, after that, after quarter time, basically because you can just look at every other team that's beaten us, and that's exactly what they do. They sit a couple of loose guys back, they crowd the you know, crowd numbers around the ball, and hit us on the counter. And it's it's very frustrating to watch because you can you see it happen over and over again at both levels of football now. So, yeah, frustrating. Mm. Very frustrating. I feel you want to ask this question, El Scorcho. Ask away. <laughs> uh, how? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll keep it a bit broader. How did the uh, the key forwards play? How did our developing tall <laughs> forwards play? <laughs> well, there were four of them, and they managed three goals between them, so not fantastically. Yeah. But yeah. with the pre- previously mentioned game plan, there's not a huge amount they can do with the delivery that they're getting. No, look, I th- we, we've touched on that a bit on the forums. I think, uh, you know, I've, I've been kind of scoffed at and I think other people have when we say that the SNFL isn't really a tall forwards league. Um, and, and I say that because SNFL teams are starting to set up like AFL teams and have the, you know, team defense and, um, you know, zoning and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they're, they're starting to get reasonably good at it for, for that level of football. Uh, but the kicking skills haven't improved along with that. So you've got you know significantly inferior kicking skills mixed with a solid team defense. It's just hard for um, 
a key forward, unless they're, you know, like a, a gun, you know, champion key forward coming back from the uh, the AFL to really have an impact. And I think if you look over the last few years, as um, I guess Nord have brought that team defense style to the SANFL and, and with the reserve sides, uh, the amount of goals being kicked by the, the real, the good, or well, the gun key forwards is, is not a lot. I think probably since Brant Chambers left the SNFL, there just hasn't been um, guys kicking consistently huge numbers. No, that's right. Mm. I'd say out of the four of them, I thought the best one on the day, if I'd never seen any of them before, the one that impressed me most was probably Billy Frampton. He reminds okay. me a bit of sort of an athletic Brogan in that he's a bit of the sort of angry classic Port Adelaide Ruckman. You can see okay. him, he goes, he was going in at the contest a lot more aggressively than Redden was, even though Redden's obviously sort of the more skilled Ruckman. You could see Frampton was just smashing into the contest full game. And it's not something that any of Loby or Ryder or Redden really give us, but it's something that something a bit unique that Billy Frampton brings to the SANFL team and hopefully one day to the AFL team. It's definitely yeah. something we lack across the board, um, that, that kind of physicality. I think oh. so. That's that's really well, positive to hear. So that's you know it's positive to hear. I mean I've I've quite liked what I've seen out of um, uh, Palmer and Austin so far. I haven't seen much of Howard or Frampton yet because I haven't been to an SNFL game since they've been back in. But um, you know it looks like we've done pretty well with all four of those draft picks at this early stage, um, especially with three of them being tolls. So that's that's a a, a positive, definitely. Yeah, no doubt. And look, I I love. Uh... Billy's uh, aggression, I think it's fantastic, and I'm sure we'll run it out of him at some point next preseason. <laughs> so. That's it. Look, let's uh, let's go on to the mid-season review. That's what this podcast is about tonight. Um, we're here, it's mid-year. I'm not sure many of us expected us to be sitting where we are on the ladder right now. We are sitting 12th on the ladder. We've played 12 games. Uh, we've only won five, five of them, seven losses. We've got a percentage of 97 uh, we've only won two of our six home games so far. Um, what I thought we might do to start with is do a bit of a love and hate for the season so far. So, El Scorcho, do you want to uh, start us off with a bit of a love and hate? Okay, uh, my I'll, I'll do the hate first so we can get that out of the way. And it, it was just what we were talking about, just that total lack of physicality. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, and there's been a lot on the on the the port board on Big Footy recently about that. Uh, it's really not Port Adelaide football that we're playing. You know, we we seem to have kind of bypassed the the idea that you have to be a physical team to be a good team, and we just seem to ignore yep. it to the point where we don't go in particularly hard. And when players come in hard to us, we just you know it's almost like a you know fight, flight, or freeze kind of reaction. We just freeze and don't or, or run away and don't do anything. Um, and there's been numerous instances this year where we've had guys who have been, you know, roughed up by opposition players, uh, and there's just been no response, no flying the flag, you know. Uh, I mean, you can go back to the days where we used to have Carr and Hardwick and Brogan, you know, smashing blokes who, who so, you know, so much as looked at our guys wrong. But even only a couple of years ago, um, you know, you see guys like uh, Trengove who would have ripped someone's head off uh, for, for, for that kind of thing. And it, it must be... Um, be something that's coached and it must be something I've been instructed to do to be more disciplined, I guess. But what it's causing us to do is just be totally meek and mild and teams like Richmond and Carlton are, are dominating us physically. And that's just disgusting. Uh, absolutely disgusting. <laughs> mm. No, that's a fair so call. That, that'll, that'll be my hate. Um, and what about your love? Love. I'm going to go with the continued development of Chad Wingard. 
Um, he just he's just he's I guess he's a bit forgotten in AFL circles because he peaked so early in his career, but he just goes from strength to strength. Um, I, I'm not sure if he still is, but I know recently he was the only player in the AFL averaging 20 touches and two goals. Um, yep. Obviously, our, our best goal kicker for the year so far, and he's just a, a champion. Um, and it, you know, it, he gets the downhill scare tag, which I think is obviously ridiculous, given that he he does his best work in some of our losses or when we're coming from behind. Um, and he, you know, when a player has that kind of early peak, you, you, you don't know whether they're going to kind of stutter after that or whether they're going to go up, you know, rise and rise. And he just seems to be getting better and better as he gets older and, and becoming more consistent. And yeah, really, really enjoying his development. And we're very lucky to have a player like that in our team. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's my love as well. So it's a uh, it's a good one, yeah. My love's the form of Chad. I thought he had a, a great year last year, um, but it's great to see him grow um, and not just get back to his very best from 2013, but go beyond that as well and raise the bar to greater heights again. And you know he's spending more time in the midfield than last year and, and still kicking loads of goals as well. So he's just a fantastic player. And I've said it every week for the past four or five weeks, but it's just stunning that he doesn't get the press that he deserves through the the rest of the AFL at the moment. I mean. You just feel that if there was a player, you know, for Carlton or, or Collingwood or Hawthorne averaging, you know, 20 and 2 every week, um, you know, they'd be, you know, their, their name would be up in lights. And, you know, Chad doesn't really get that. He doesn't even really get that from the Adelaide media. So, not sure what the problem is there. But, um, you know, he's had a fantastic year and, and should definitely be in the old Australian team if it was picked now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's such a luxury to have a guy who we mainly play forward, who we can plug into the middle for a game, and he can go and get thirty touches and six clearances, and and play like a champion midfielder, and you know, especially with someone for his size. So he's just got he could play anywhere. It's just one of those players that's such a brilliant footballer. He could just go anywhere and do anything, basically. So yeah, absolutely. Look, my hate this week. Oh, sorry, this season so far is the regression of so many players from our, our first. Um, our first 18 and you know looking at guys like Jonas and Brody, Schultz, um, Aaron Young, Loby, White, Hartlett, Trengove, you know at times Jasper, Pittard, Westhoff, Boak, I mean that's half our side that's playing under the heights that they performed at last year and you, know, you can't really expect to be near the top of the ladder when half your team haven't performed to expectations and you know why they haven't performed to expectations is I guess what this podcast is about and you know we'll try and work um, out what's uh, gone wrong there. Um, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. Um, Schultzy, what's your love and hate for the season, mate? Uh, well, it's a season where you can't have much to love about the team, so we're all picking individuals, mm. and I'm going to pick Jack Homch as my love. Yep. So I think he's been playing... He's, you forget that he's a 22-year-old who's only just played his 50th game. He's getting smashed in a beleaguered defence, but he's just... I mean, you've probably seen all the press this week about Eastern Wood and all the intercept marks that he's taking, and that's well-deserved for Eastern Wood, that's a very good year, but I think everything you can say about him, you can say about Jack Homsch, and Jack Homsch is doing it while also shutting down one of the opposition's best key forwards every week. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. He's been yeah. he's been the star for the season, the star improver, I guess you'd say. I, yeah, I would have him probably maybe only behind Gray as in our in our best and fairest. He just um, just the way obviously teams defend against us, we get a lot of fast breaks, and he, he's able to defend one on one in a in an open paddock where it should be advantage to the forward and get a fist in and at least halve the contest, and and quite often take a mark and win it. 
Uh, he's, I think he may have stolen Tom Jonas's defending ability and added it to his own <laughs> in the offseason because <laughs> he's, he's just been brilliant. And for someone so young that we got so cheaply, you know, to, to get or pick, you know, half of pick 29 effectively, uh, it's, you know, it's just a fluke that we've got someone that good and it's really good to see how he's playing. Definitely, yeah. What about your hate, mate? Well, the hate probably got to be just how easily we could have been 8-4 right now rather than 5-7. I mean, yes. it's not like all we would have to do is beat Brisbane and Carlton, who are second and third bottom, and beat Geelong at home, who just lost to Melbourne in the Kidney Park. It's the team that beat that had seven goals to nothing against Hawthorne within 10 minutes has then gone on to have a season like this. And it yeah. More frustrating than a season like 2012, where you knew that this was the best that this team could do, because we've seen the best that this team can do, and it's so much better than what they're dishing up. And it's just going to be a complete waste of a season at this point. We should be a That's lot better than up. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, ridiculously frustrating how we can play so well against Hawthorne. We can beat North Melbourne away, which we pretty much never do. We beat the Crows when they were flying. And then we lose to Brisbane and Carlton, lose to Geelong at home, lose to Richmond. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, you just feel... I wonder if we got over the line against Frio in round one, how that might have changed our season. Well, I mean, I, I even think after uh, after those five rounds, being three and two, we were up and about, you know, with one three in a row against tough opposition. And I mean, even the showdown is, is always a tough game. And it, we were, you know, it was really positive And we were looking, you know, we, we didn't play amazingly against the Crows. We were still, we outclassed them, outworked them, and we were just better, and we deserved to win. And it, it looked like we were just going to roll through. Um, whether we had a, a mental kind of come down from uh, from having so many tough games in a row, and I would say that would be the toughest opening to a season in the history of the AFL. Uh, I'd, I can't think of how it could be harder than playing the other four, other four top five sides plus your you yeah. know, cross-town rival. Um, but maybe there was a bit of a mental come down after that. Uh, but you, you wouldn't expect that to last for the, the amount of time it has, and it's been really disheartening. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, I thought we were sitting pretty after, you know, five rounds. We were three and two. I mean, going back to the first podcast for the year, we asked the question, you know, where do we think we would be after those first five rounds? And we all said, you know, if we're sitting three and two, we'd be pretty well happy with that. That would be sort of a, a par mark from there. And, you know, we got that and the draw was supposed to open up from there. You know, West Coast, you know, then Brisbane, you know, it, it should have opened up. I mean, in the end, West Coast have turned out to be a, a pretty good team this year and, and so have Richmond as well. But I don't know, it's just disappointing. And it's just the fact that we've kind of lost games on our own free will. I mean, you look at the Carlton game, you look at the West Coast game, we had so many shots on goal in that last that last quarter and we, ju- we just couldn't hit the target at all. And, you know, we had some horrendous kicking against uh, Brisbane. We had some horrendous kicking against um, uh, Richmond as well. I think we kicked five goals, 13. And you're just not going to win games of footy when you're, when you're kicking that sort of scoreline. No, that's right. And look, we seem to be in control against West Coast. And that was, you know, that we were still rolling through at that stage and looking good and we were in control of the game. Uh, and they just seem to do what every other team does to us and switch to a really defensive, shut down, scrappy style. Uh, not really play football against us because they know 
if you shut us down, we don't really try and do anything different. We don't even, if we've got a plan B, we've never tried to use it. Um, and it just seems to be, you know, late in the game, we'll just bomb it on the top of a pack and they'll have more tools who are better pack marks and a Ruckman sitting back and uh, they'll launch back over the top and we're relying on the likes of Homsch to beat guys one-on-one to stop a fast break. Uh, and you can't play like that. Um, you know, whether... I mean, based on what Hinkley said, he obviously wants us to learn this style and get good enough at this style that we, we're not really, um, we, you know, teams can't stop us. But at this stage, teams have, I, I mean, I guess we talked a little bit last year about being figured out. Teams have definitely figured out how we play and a, an easy way to negate it. Um, whether we want to actually do anything about that, uh, I'm not sure, but we don't seem to be trying. So very frustrating. Yeah. I mean, statistically, we've had a massive change from last year. I mean, we're, we're significantly down on hitouts. I think, like in terms of stat differential, we were plus two point five last year. We're down to minus one point nine. Inside fifties is the massive change. We were plus ten point seven on our opposition last year. Now we're minus five. That's a fifteen inside fifty change, which is ridiculously bad. Clearances is about the same, three point eight. Contested possessions, we were plus 4.5 last year. This year, we're, we're minus 3.3. And look, the biggest stat change from 2014 to 15 is our bounces. Last year, we were number one in the league by a mile for bounces. We were averaging somewhere around 15 a game. This year, we're only averaging six a game and are 11th. Um, and, you know, it's, it kind of speaks... Uh, I think it, it speaks a lot about the, the type of game style that we're playing this year where we're just not running and, and carrying the ball as much. Yeah, no, probably absolutely. Have, yeah, probably have um, helped that Polak and White have spent so much time on the sidelines as well, because those two, mm. along with Pittard, were probably our three main bouncers and line breakers who helped us play that style. But we just haven't had them, and we've been relying on likes of Carl Amon, who's only played four games, and Kane Mitchell, who I'm not going to say anything more about. <laughs> and I tend to agree. I think you can see uh, see that and just how stagnant we've been with our ball movement. You know, to get through a press, you run through it, and you know, uh, even last year, but especially this year, it's almost sometimes when they're switching the ball around in the back half, you want them to drop a mark so that they're forced to look up, you know, take on the person who's coming at them and actually, you know, move the ball forward. Um, we just don't, you know, we don't even attempt to run through that uh, that press anymore. And, and obviously losing guys like White and um, and Polak has killed us in that sense because they are, along, as uh, um, Schultz said, along with um, Pittard, the, the main ones that kind of do that. But uh, we just need to run more, just run the ball, run in packs, try and run the ball through. You know, I'd, I'd rather we turn the ball over trying to take the game on than, you know, you know, shrugging our shoulders and bombing it up the line to a, a contest that we're going to lose because we don't really have a lot of great tall markers. You know, uh, uh, Westhoff's okay, but not when he's being bodied. Uh, Schultz is a, you know, unless he can stand on someone's head, he's better on the lead. Lobie's a terrible, terrible contested marker for a Ruckman. Um, and Ryder's obviously been out for a lot. So so bombing up the line isn't a strength like it was when we had Brogan and uh, Laid and Treadray down there to, to mark everything. So uh, we need to run the ball. Have and to on, run the, the ball. on the note of things that are no longer a strength without Laid, we need to stop kicking the ball into the pockets and trying to force boundary throw-ins because we just never get anything out of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. getting double teamed every week. Yeah. Not Absolutely. when we're significantly down on hit-outs and clearances and contested possessions. I mean, it's just a, a silly tactic at this point, um, you know, with, with the type of players that we've got in the side at the moment. 
Um, I guess the, the big question is where have we actually gone wrong? What is the reason for our regression in 2015? Oh, I, don't, I don't think it's any – I don't think you can point to one thing. I think it's a combination of things. I definitely think there was some complacency coming into the season with, you know, Hinkley not coaching during the preseason, which is yeah. – you know, we, we had – I guess we didn't think too much of at the time, but it's, uh, you know, it's a, a bit of a, a, an alarm bell should have been going off at that point. Um, and and that's just carried through with, with the physicality, with the um, – uh, I guess the the one game plan that we're sticking, you know, dogmatically to um, – it's, it, we just seem to think this is going to happen. We're going to do it this way. It's going to work. And it, it hasn't worked. Um, and we we don't really have the answers for it. And I guess they're, they're so happy with the way they're doing things that they haven't haven't bothered to change anything. And that combined with having some players out and, and that sort of thing, it's, it, it's just been a pretty pretty bad year all around. And it's all quite – I mean, in AFL football, you've only got to be a few percent off to lose games to teams like Carlton and Brisbane. Um, there's not much really between the good teams and the bad teams and uh, it doesn't take much to lose and that's what we're finding out this year. Yeah. I mean, we've had so much smoke blown up our ass over the last couple of seasons where it seems that we haven't been able to do anything on, you know, talking about off the field, everyone rates Koshy and, and Keith Thomas super highly. You know, talking about Kenny Hinckley and the coaching staff, you, you, you look at the leadership group, you look at the all the, all the players that have improved over that time period and, you just can't help but feel that maybe they thought that that sort of next step improvement to get to a premiership level was just going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and that's the way it feels, doesn't it? It just feels like we, uh, just basically how we've treated the season. Uh, we just thought it was going to work. And, you know, we've seen glimpses of our best football against Hawthorne. Uh, and I guess even Frio in the game we lost. But, um yeah, you you can't be play front. Well, we've got a very front running style based on you know the slingshot. Um, when teams are setting up, it doesn't work. And then t- players that have been getting away with being front runners and and having the ball kicked over the top to them as they run onto it uh, against sides that are less fit than them are all of a sudden coming up with or ca- running into you know two loose tall defenders down back um, and players that are sitting back so they're ready to run back and beat us and. And, you know, the, this thing that was just working really easily or seems to be working really easily last year isn't working. Uh, and so they don't automatically revert to the, you know, the tough, hard, contested, let's get the ball, let's get it out, let's do the basics right. It just seems to be we'll just keep trying this thing that worked for us last year and hopefully it'll end up working out. Yeah. I mean, the lack of aggression in our side at the moment is probably the most disappointing part for me. And I think back to last year and whilst we were playing that super fast, you know, slingshot, you know, high-running, bouncing footy. I mean, we were still really, really tough at the bowl. And I think back to the first showdown last year, I think to the way that we physically assaulted Geelong in the Anzac game last year and the Hawthorne game and, you know, the Richmond final, the Frio final. And, yeah, the the way that we were able to physically stand up and and dominate teams in in that manner um, to get us over the line. And we just haven't seen that at any stage this season. Yeah, we haven't seen the confidence that we had last season either you just mentioned that Geelong game one of my favorite moments from that game was Aaron Young who's sort of a 30 game fringe midfielder decided he was gonna dummy around Joel Selwood who's a superstar of the competition on the mark and it worked Mm. and there's just the fact that he would even nobody would even try to do that this year let alone actually pull it off the confidence was gone just as quickly as the aggression was gone and I think those things might be linked 
Absolutely. And I think they are, you know, team, I mean, you've seen it against us. You've seen teams like Richmond and, and Carlton physically on top of us. And everyone stands a foot taller when, you know, when they can bully a Port Adelaide player. And we were supposed to be one of the good sides of, you know, going, coming into the season and they're bullying our good players off the ball. Like we're, you know, school kids. Um, they do, they walk taller, they try harder, they take the game on a little bit more. And when you do those things, you win, as we found out last year, when you do those things, it pays off and you win. Um, teams are always at their best when they are taking the game on and kicking to one-on-one contests knowing that they're going to win them. And this year, we just don't seem to have that at all. And it does stem from um, the lack of physicality. And it's just an attitude thing across the board where we don't want to do the hard stuff and you don't want to get on top of teams. Um, we just we just want our game plan to work and we're hoping it will. So frustrating, again. Yeah. I know we've spoken a lot about... Um... Is it Kenny and the whole, you know, you've got to be humble, you've got to be respectful, that sort of thing? Or is it, you know, the fact that we all look like middle distance runners at the moment instead of big, tough, hard footballers like, you know, your Geelong and Hawthorne and, and Sydney and those sort of teams? But do you think that has a part to play in, in the confidence of the players? Do you think they feel like they can't physically, you know, dominate teams like that? Well, I don't think anybody's thinking they can't physically dominate Bryce Gibbs after he tackles Robbie Gray, but nobody did it. <laughs> And And it's not the first time that year that that's happened. I mean, you look at the way that Dylan Grimes just came up and, you know, attacked Jackson Tringove when he was lying on the ground and no one said boo. Like, not a single player went up to him in in that Richmond game. And, you know, it's the sort of thing that's happened all year. I reckon Travis Boak's been, you know, bumped really heavily about three or four times this year, been knocked on his butt and no one's done a single thing. Whereas last year, you know, there would have been a melee. Well, that's right. And... I don't think we're necessarily any smaller or lighter or more like middle distance runners than we were last year. Um, it's it's a, just an attitude thing. You know, if, if you want to be tough and crash and bash, you can be. Um, but when the most notable, you know, physical thing I can remember from the year was John Butcher in the SANFL uh, Anzac Day game, uh, hitting a Nord guy late after he kicked the ball and then ragdolling mm. the two guys came up to, who, to remonstrate with him. Uh, and John Butcher's not a physical player, you know what I mean? He can crash a pack, but you wouldn't say he's a, he's a tough player compared to, you know, the likes of, say, Jonas or or, um, or Wines or those kind of guys. But it's just attitude. You've got to go, you know, I can I can hurt this guy and I'm going to hurt him this time and he's going to remember it next time. And if someone does something to my player, I'm going to make sure they don't do it again. And, I, I mean, we, we had a few suspensions last year and I'm not sure whether they think, oh, we, we don't want to have suspensions because, you know, suspensions will hurt us. So... What we'll do is we'll just not not react and we'll you know play hands off and 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 play our game or we'll just be ball players. But you know we've just swung the pendulum too far that way and we're forgetting that you know every great team, I mean every team that has won a flag has been a very physical team. Um, you don't win flags without being a very physical bullying team. We mentioned in the first podcast for the year. Um, how do you think we will handle um, the expectation of of making a grand final? Because that's what the expectation was pre-season, both internally and externally through the media as well. And Do you think the players maybe got a bit spooked by that or do you think they've choked under that sort of expectation or do you think it's more uh, a different type of reason? I think it's more they might have, as you said earlier, just expected it to happen because they'd heard so often that it was going to happen and then mm. not been willing to put in the extra work required just Makes me think back to I was getting bad vibes as early as the pre-season when we were sending Kenny Hinckley just about 
may as well have had an FD of beers next to him while he was watching Port play Richmond. <laughs> in his hammock on the sideline. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And I, like, I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's almost like the players just expected that yet where, you know, we lost a prelim by three points. So next year, you know, we're young, we're getting better. And we still hear this bullshit about being a young side, uh, which we're mm. not. Re- I mean, we are, we're younger than we're some not. teams, but we're not a young side in the scheme of the AFL. We're a middle-of-the-range middle, middle of the range side who should be looking to get into a premiership window. Uh, and, you know, yeah. Travis Boak's not young and he's having a terrible season. Uh, Jay Schultz isn't young and he's having a terrible season by his standards. Um, you know, it's not a young guys who are hurting us. It's it's everyone, you know. So, um, you know, I, I think it was, as uh, as Schultz said, just a, just a bit of expectation. I think they just thought it would happen and didn't. And, and so aren't doing the, the hard things. And, you know, it's so hard to win a flag at AFL level. You, you don't have to just be good enough. You need everything to go right. So you need to be doing every little thing uh, to make sure that you can put yourself, you know, fractions of a percent ahead of other teams. And if you don't do it, you lose to teams like Carlton and Brisbane. Absolutely. And look, uh, the last question I want to ask before we sort of split it up into the sections of the ground is, is it too early to say whether the Ryder experiment has worked or not? Because Ryder and Lobie have only played, what, three or four games in the same team at this point of the year. Thank you to answer your own question there. You can't, as you said, including even the pre-season, they've played four games together. How are we going to know whether it's worked or not? It's not like we've been any better since Ryder's been out. We certainly haven't been thing it's just it's going to take time before we know it might take until next year or even the year after but and we just have to hope that that's not too late for our premiership window yeah yeah we we definitely need to uh to get more games into the unit as a as a forward unit and i think um just just with that structure you know i think we blinked very quickly at the start of the year when we didn't win the first game uh because um you know uh Ryder got beaten by Sanderlands, who's a very hard ruckman to beat at the best of times. Uh, we, we blinked and brought in Redden, and then when Redden didn't work because he wasn't fit, instead of sticking with that tall structure and just dropping Redden and bringing Butcher back as we probably should have done, we uh, we just went, oh, no, we'll just go short again, which is what happened last year. Um, and that's two years in a row where we've gone, you know, structure's really important. We need to make sure we have another marking target up there. You know, we, we spend our first-round pick and bring in uh, a gr- what should have been a great player for us in Ryder, and I'm sure he will be. But uh, we just didn't stick with that structure, and we, we blinked very quickly. And I think maybe if we had an easier start to the year, we would have had to kind of ease that structure in and, and play Butcher longer. But I think the coaches panicked, and they, and they changed the structure. And and now, you know, when we do bring Ryder back, we're a runner down, so we're not used to playing that way. And um, if we believed in what we were doing, we needed to stick with it. And I don't think that's happened. And we've ended up with... Um, you know, Paul Stewart playing as a marking forward, which is just, it's, it's farcical, really, because he doesn't play that role. He's sort of capable if he, if, if he was regularly in that role, but that's not a role he plays. So why is he in the team in that role? Why didn't they just pick Harvey? You know, what's what really at this point in the season do we have to lose? And why are we then playing Paul Stewart and Sam Gray in the midfield at FNFL level with Stephen Summerton on a half-forward flank? Hmm. Absolutely. You know, we, we've got the uh, reserve side there so we can set up how we want to set up and put, you know, players in the positions we want to play them so that they can slot straight in. And you look at, uh, you know, the great Geelong and, and Collingwood sides recently who have won flags and they had players that would just plug straight in because they went straight from their role in the uh, in the VFL into their role in the AFL uh, seamlessly. And we just haven't used it as well as we probably could have, I don't think, for whatever reason. No, that's, that's definitely a fair call. Well, look, what I thought we would do is split it up into the sections of the ground. So we might as well start at the back and talk about the back line first. And 
Look, of that defensive group, I think that's probably been our best performing section of the ground so far this year. I think as a as a group, they've performed as well as probably could be expected throughout each game. But it's probably only Jack Homsch who's been consistently very good each week. Every every other player through that back uh, that back uh, backline group has had their moments. Though you know some of them have had you know good sort of three or four week patches, but have then sort of regressed into some uh, some poor games as well. Yeah, I've been reasonably happy with Carlisle as well. I think he's been pretty good for the year, and I think especially early he was very good. Um, yeah. yeah, we just we just I mean overall as a unit they're still doing their job pretty well. I'd say probably the only one that's really been disappointing would be Jonas. Uh, he just seems to have lost that uh, that one-on-one strength and ability, and uh, I'm not sure whether we're using him in a different role now, or you know, obviously he's not an ideal matchup for a really agile forward. But um, yeah, we we do. I don't know. We need to sort something out with him. But other than that, everyone's been okay, and they've they've held their own against you know usually a barrage of inside fifties and and fast break turnovers, and they've done really well and probably kept us in a lot of games, especially early on in those in that tough start to the season. Yeah, I remember against Torfall, and they had something like seventy-eight inside fifties, and they only kicked thirteen goals. So that's a testament to how good our defence was at the time. Without their effort, there was no way our midfield was playing better than Hawthorne's midfield, and we wouldn't have won that game. Mm. No, you feel yeah. that uh, you feel they've been let down by the turnovers through the midfield throughout the season. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and that's, uh, as we were saying before, teams will sit back in defence against us, knowing that the way we play is just to blaze a way forward, expecting our runners to run onto it. They sit a couple of loose players back. They start their players further back so that they're ready to, they're ready for us to launch. Um, and then we're expecting it to all go one way, and it's been you know kicked back over our heads. So some of the some of the one-on-one work, the likes of Homsch and um, even Carlisle, Pittard, Broadbent, They've all done some really good things 101 where they've been under a lot of pressure and uh, and it, we probably should have conceded a goal. So, um, yeah, r- really happy with all of those guys down back. I'm not sure in the last sort of month or so that we've been getting the same numbers back from the midfield to help defend as we did earlier in the season. For example, the Geelong game when they got about six goals just from the ball sort of trickling out the back to a Geelong player. That just hasn't happened for about two and a half years, but it's been happening recently. So I'm not sure whether it's an issue of numbers or if it's an issue of coaching and players not being in the right spot, or maybe it's just bad luck and it's, these things happen, especially this year. But it's just something I I've noticed over the last couple of weeks. I tend to agree. It just it just seems to fall into the goal score and they've got two guys running onto it, which I think maybe is a work rate thing, as you say. The midfielders aren't getting back. Uh, players aren't getting in, getting back early enough. But when, when you're facing fa- fast break after fast break because of the way uh, our games are kind of running at the moment with, the, with teams sitting back against us and breaking, um, it, that kind of thing happens because you don't have the numbers back. You don't have a chance to set up. And when we've got a chance to set up, as we did in that Hawthorne game with 80-odd inside 50s, we're quite hard to get through. But, you know, uh, mm. even Homsch, as well as he's been playing, can't repel fast break after fast break after fast break. And, you know, we're, we're getting beaten. We're not getting beaten 120 to 100. We're getting beaten, you know, 70 to 50. Um, and so teams don't have to kick a goal every time they go forward because they can stop us so well um, that, that you know they're winning, they're beating us with scores of seventy or eighty, uh, which is is part of the issue, I guess. And you know, so we are conceding a lot more goals than we're scoring in that sense. But overall, eighty is not a bad score to concede, really. And you should be winning games conceding eighty points. Oh, absolutely, no doubt about that. 
Um, the introduction of Cracker into that uh, defensive group has been a bit of a shining light. Yeah, absolutely. I'm. Um, yeah, I, I was probably uh, someone who wasn't uh, a big fan of Cracker coming back, and I was probably pretty vocally against it. I didn't like him the first time I was here. I didn't like his attitude, even when he, even before he, he went to the Gold Coast. I wasn't a big fan, but he's just uh, he's a totally different player. Uh, he's hard. He's smart. He's uh, he's very classy with the way he uses the ball. Um, and he's exactly what we need. You know, it'd, it'd be nice to have two or three of him uh, running around because uh, you just see the class he's got with his ball use and his vision. Um, and he's become something he definitely wasn't the first time he was here. Is uh, is a really solid defender. Um, and he, he couldn't win a physical contest in his first Port Adelaide stint to save his life. So he's been brilliant. And I am very happy eating eating my words on, on his return. And I'm, I'm really happy to see how well he's playing. Schultze, your thoughts on Cracker? Well, my internet had just dropped out for the last three minutes. I'm glad you didn't ask me that two minutes ago. <laughs> but I'm back now. And, yeah, I basically echo what El Show just said. I was said some quite bad things about Nathan Cracker when he left the club originally. I wasn't particularly sympathetic when he ended up out of the AFL system altogether. But the fact that he came back to the club that he'd Quite frankly, Tripp, he'd abandoned. He ate his humble pie. He said that I want to do the work required to be a Port Adelaide player again. That's exactly what he's done. And yeah. getting him off the rookie list is probably, if somebody had taken Holmes Cracker, was going to be my second love. Just the bonus that he's been with his skills that we sorely need all over the ground. As Elspeth said, you'd love to have two of them. You'd love to have one running off half back and one delivering the ball into the forward line. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jarman Impey, he's been another that, uh, especially in the last sort of three or four weeks, has really come in and, and done a fantastic job. And, you know, he looks to have a, a massive future as well. Yeah, yeah I, been... I think, uh, yeah. Go, sorry, guys. Go. Okay. Uh, I, look, I think people forgot a little about Impey at the start of the year. He did some really, really good jobs for us last year as a first-year player on, on some of the best small forwards in the league, especially, mm. uh, or notably, Ballantyne. Uh, and you could just see he had everything he needed to be a, an elite small defender that can then hurt hurt teams the other way. Uh, and he, I think he played the first game and then he missed the next few. And I think he almost got a bit forgotten uh, with how we were shuffling around our small defenders. But uh, I think long-term, he's a, you know, he's a, he's first 22 and he's got so many weapons and, and he's so consistent back there. And he's only going to get better as he gets older. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Impey fan and I'm, I'm glad he's, he's started to play well again. Impey's definitely someone I personally didn't have him in my absolute best 22 at the start of the season. But I definitely do. Now, especially the way he played against Geelong, where I don't think he made a mistake all game, and he shut down Stephen Motlop in situations where if it had been anybody else on our team, Motlop would kick the goal. And he just offers a speed that we just don't have from anyone else in our back six, and which we haven't had since probably Gavin Wangani retired. Yeah, I... Absolutely. And I think, you know, it was just a really good, you know, in that draft, uh, in that, you know, 2000 and I guess 2013 draft, we clearly targeted what we needed and what we were lacking. Um, and obviously we were able to trade down, you know, trade down to get Pollock and, uh, and still land him. And, he, you know, we clearly knew what we were looking for. And you can tell just how he adds something that we don't have uh, in terms of speed and, and, you know, that kind of uh, really agile, small forward um, ability to shut that kind of player down. So really, really good drafting on our, uh, you know, from our uh, our coaches and uh, 
recruiters, and hopefully it'll uh, it'll carry through. Brody, he's probably been a bit disappointing this year, especially in terms of his skill level. It seems to, uh, especially his kicking, it seems to have sort of uh, left him a little bit um, so far this year. And I think he'd probably be leading the league in um, you know kicks uh, towards the the centre of the defensive fifty, which get chopped off and uh, goal scored against. I reckon he seems to do it once or twice every week. Yeah, he's definitely cost us a few goals this year. Uh, it's disappointing. I, I really like him as a player, and uh, I still think his ability to read the play is really good. It's just, I mean, whether it's uh, whether it's him individually or symptomatic of how we're moving the ball and how teams are defending against us, I'm not sure. But, yeah, he definitely definitely needs to tidy that up. Um, you know, as we, I guess we used to say with, uh, with Pittard, when Pittard used to make a lot of silly mistakes, just, you know play safe for a little while and take the first option and uh, and make sure of it. But you, you don't really want to say that to a guy who can kick the ball 70 metres and is such a weapon mm. when he's on. But maybe, you know, I, I don't... I mean, I didn't really agree with dropping him. I think he's the kind of play you... you, you, you know, yeah, I guess you, you, you push through with form. And I think he was a bit of a scapegoat when a lot was going wrong. And we, I, I wouldn't have dropped him personally, but... Yeah, he just needs to maybe kick within himself and, and play a bit within himself when moving the ball forward um, until he kind of settles back down. I think he'll come good, though. I think he's a very good player. Yeah. I think personally that he's probably one of the main guys who's suffered from the form of our midfield, not running hard and spreading and creating options the way that they used to. I think he's probably more of a long kick than a precise kick. And that means yep. that when he doesn't have a good option to kick it to, he'll either panic or he'll blaze away and the ball will end up, could end up anyway. Well, let's uh, move on and, and talk about the midfield, which has, look, been uh, pretty poor, it has to be said, this year. Only really Gray and, and Ebert have really sort of, um, you know, played with any sort of consistency throughout the season. You know, we've obviously missed guys like, uh, like Matty White and Jared Pollock quite a bit in terms of their run and carry, as we've mentioned. And look, uh, obviously the, the Lobie and Ryder partnership hasn't worked to date simply because of the fact that they haven't actually played together. But, you know, I've, I've been really critical of, of guys like Travis Boak and, and Hamish Hartlett, um, you know, throughout the season so far this year. And do you think that's uh, that's a bit justified? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, these are, especially Boak is a huge name and he's an elite midfielder uh, when he wants to be. But whether, I mean, whether it's just because of, of how we're getting beaten physically um, and whether it's because our guys aren't helping each other out, and that tends to be what it is with uh, with the midfield. It, it's how you're working as a unit. But uh, mm. Boak just hasn't been able to really fire a shot uh, in a lot of games. Uh, he always cops a hard tag, as we know, but you've, you know, you've just got to find a way to work through it and his teammates need to find a way to work him through it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And Hartlett, look, you know, he's he's probably not the player who should be. You know, he, he's capable of, of quite a lot, but how often do we actually see it from him? And, you know, people have mentioned his name as trade bait, and I, I like to think we'll kind of ride him out with it and work him back into form, but he needs to probably have a bit of a look at himself and think, you know, I, you know, he's now at the age where he should be stepping up and being that elite midfielder. He's, he's definitely got the ability to be. He's got, the, he's got all the skills. He's got the body. He's got the ability to read the play. He just needs to impose himself on some games, and we've definitely seen it from him in the past, but, you know, uh, this year he's been missing. I think the form drop of Boak is probably one of the reasons why we've been lamenting that we haven't been able to sort of get over the line in close games when we've been making a comeback, because in previous years, Boak was generally the guy who would get us started by winning five series in a row, or the guy who would kick a goal while everyone around him was kicking behind, so we just haven't seen it from him. 
yeah, he's still been getting yeah. numbers, but he hasn't had the impact. His lack of outside game has been uh, has been quite uh, detrimental, I think, to our, to our midfield so far this year. I mean, he's still getting a lot of clearances. He's still winning a lot of the hard ball. No, but he's just so, under so much pressure straight away as soon as he gets it that he's, he's just not getting free and he's not able to use the ball as well as he um, has been able to in, in previous years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but he, he's still... I mean, he was getting the hard tag last year. It's not anything new. He's uh, he's All-Australian in the last two years and he's been getting hard tags for quite a while because he's been our, obviously our best midfielder for quite a while. Possibly overtaken by, uh, by Gray, but... Um, yeah, whether it's just a whole unit, we need to be blocking and making space better. I definitely think we're a better team with with the likes of uh, Wines in the side who can kind of bullet through a through a stoppage. But um, yeah, look, Bog just needs to to do more and work harder and run harder and 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 run it off. You know, if you're going to be an elite, an elite midfielder like he is, an elite ball playing mid, you're going to cop a hard tag and you can either you know work harder and you know I don't think he, he doesn't complain. He's not the, that kind of player, but you just got to keep working and run through it. You know. Hamish Hartlett's a, a bit of a strange one. I, I really don't know how to feel about his year at the moment. I, I feel that, I don't know, part of me feels like we're being far too harsh on Hammer because he's always been, in previous years, a, a bit of a peak and a trough type player. You have you know, a best on ground performance and then not get a kick for two weeks and then best on ground again. But this year he's just sort of been a lot more consistent. He hasn't had those peaks. He hasn't really had those troughs. He's just been played at the one sort of level the whole season. It's probably not at the level that we expect from him. But is he performing a bit of a different role this year? Because you look at his year statistically, and he's he's getting career highs in a lot of stats. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe, you know, we, we won so many games last year that sometimes he popped up and won us games, and we didn't really notice as much when he wasn't doing it. But, you know, he's getting to the stage where he's, he's the age now where, you know, like he what is he, 24 now? That's that's the kind of age where he needs to stand up and start being a consistent, you know, 25-plus, you know, touch midfielder, imposing himself on games. And, you know, again, maybe it's just that the whole midfield's kind of been let down. You know, he's just been a part of that. But, you know, it's nice to see him playing consistent footy, but I would like to see him, uh, you know, just step up and, and be an elite midfielder because he's got everything he needs, as I said. He's just got to actually do it. I do think he stepped up a little bit against Carlton, though. I mean, he still wasn't absolutely at his best. He could have had 25 touches and won a lot of contested touches. And he took that big intercept mark running in the way of Levi Caswell, who's probably the biggest guy on Carlton's team. So it is a step in the right direction. And that's probably what we're going to have to hope for rather than having sort of trudging along at 20 touches and then having one big game. It's probably going to be more gradual. Yeah. Robbie Gray, his, uh, his season has uh, continued on his form from last year. Um, he's playing pretty much as a bona fide midfielder this year and is just dominating um, in the stoppages. You know, he's just an absolute clearance king, pretty much the best in the, in the league um, in that sort of uh, role at the moment. Um, how have you guys seen his season? I'm yeah, glad just... he's playing as a bona fide midfielder now. Personally. I've always thought since. 2011, and we sort of started running him through there at the end of the year, that that was his best position. He's just got the sense where the ball's going to go, and then he's got a sense for how to somehow get out of the pack and run past five opposition players, and for some reason, none of them can lay a hand on him. And yeah, I think that's his future as an AFL player. I think he's only going to sort of go forward to rest rather than starting forward and then rotating through the midfield. I don't think he's going to have any more 40 goal seasons, but I think he's most valuable 
helping provide us with those goals from the midfield and getting on the end of other people's good work. Personally. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's such a good. He's the best player in traffic in the AFL at the moment. Um, it just is. Uh, and look, he's probably not getting the attention he was last year because we've been terrible as a team. But he's been just as good. He's just continued on from where he was. Um, he hasn't seemed to be kind of affected by our our kind of our lack of ability to win hitouts. Um, he just finds the ball in the middle, you know, weaves in and out, and and he gets those uh those really clean clearances where you know well. What, what he does with the ball after that and what our whole team does with the ball with those clean clearances isn't ideal in terms of kicking to the pockets and that sort of thing. But in terms of getting free from a, a stoppage, there's probably not anyone better in the AFL at the moment. Um, and so it's really good to see him continue that. I just hope uh, I hope we can you know fix up our structures and fix up the way we set up so that we're getting a bit more benefit from, from Robbie Gray kind of waltzing the ball out of a stoppage. Um, so instead of kicking to the pockets and, you know, or, or bombing it on the top of, a, you know, a, a two on three or something like that, we actually, you know, he can, you know, we start spotting up targets and all that kind of thing. But he's been brilliant again. He'd be, uh, along with Wingard, probably a chance of All-Australian if he keeps up his form. No doubt. I, I would certainly have him in the All-Australian team at the moment. But I don't know. I feel that um, because he's not getting the goals that he got last year, that uh, the selectors will probably think he's not had as good a year when... You know, arguably, he's he's definitely had as an equal season, I think, to his year last year. I'd agree. Yeah, I'd agree. In terms of second string midfielders, you know, we, we've tried Aaron Young for quite a few games. Andrew Moore's um, not really been in the side. He's only played the one game. We've tried Brendan Archie to a lesser extent, Kay Mitchell as well. I mean, it's probably been one of the most disappointing parts uh, for me this year is the the, the lack of you know, those sort of second-string midfielders standing up and, and making a name for themselves on a weekly basis? I think that Brendan Archie has stood up personally, but he just hasn't been yeah. given a chance to do it for more than a quarter at a time. He's definitely been the best performed of, of the lot, I think. But, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty yeah. hard when you're only getting about 15 minutes game time every week. Yeah, I'd expect, given that the season is now shot, uh, Archie should be getting a lot more game time. Uh, especially given our lack of physicality in there and that he's a pretty big body um, and he's that kind of midfielder. He should be playing pretty well every game. and I, I wouldn't want to see him as the sub again. Um, yeah, he, he's been quite good in the glimpses we've seen, but just get him in there and let him play at this stage. We, we need to know whether we've got, you know, uh, whether we can rely on that kind of player to step up and be a, a consistent AFL player. And he's definitely shown the signs. Um but, yeah, I mean, some of the other guys, uh, obviously Mitchell, uh, my feelings are pretty similar to everyone else's feelings. Uh, you know, he, he can run, but he just doesn't offer enough when we, uh, I guess when we're struggling and we're up against it and there's nowhere to run to because the team you know, team have set up a big zone in our, in our forward half. Um, you know, he just doesn't offer enough in terms of his disposal and, and his, 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 I guess, his ability to create. Um, you know, occasionally, you know, gets free in the forward 50 and takes a mark and gets a set shot, but... Overall, you know, he, he looks really good when we're when we're winning and when we're able to get the ball over the top, but uh, not doing enough. And I, I'd say, you know, Gray Gray's the same. Uh, I mean, Young and Moore are either of them going to step up and be a be an AFL player? Who knows? They've both shown that they've got some ability, but neither of them are going to put it together, I guess, consistently. And they're both, I'm, I'm probably they're probably both forty or fifty game players now, so you'd start you'd, you'd expect to start to see a little bit of consistency out of them. Um, yeah. Hopefully we Especially see Youngie. Goals. I mean, Youngie's been bitterly disappointing since his first couple of games this year. I mean, he was just about best on ground against Hawthorne. He had a ripper game against North Melbourne, was really good against the Crows. Then, 
it's just gone all downhill from there. You know, he got subbed out against West Coast and, and just played no role at all against the Bulldogs in Geelong. Yeah, there was actually an article about Young after that Hawthorne game that essentially said, fringe player no more, Aaron Young's locked himself into the best 22. And if he kept up that form, he certainly would have. But he's just, oh, I don't yeah. think he's top 15 disposals since then, let alone actually had a good breakout sort of game. And again, yeah. Geelong, not only did he barely touch it, but every time he touched it, he kicked it out on the floor, straight back to a Geelong player. And I mean, I'm one of his biggest fans, but he very much deserves to be dropped after that game. He's going to have to do yeah. something special to get another shot after that game. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel that our setups have let us down so far this year in terms of you know, the change of midfield coach? Has that played a bit of a role? Yes. I mean, there's definitely something different, isn't there? We just don't seem to be able to... Uh, I mean, the, the whether it's Lobie's form has, has definitely hurt us. Um, I think teams always like to get numbers around the ball against us because they don't want to give guys like Boak and Gray space and they do whatever they can to kind of... Uh, to kind of shut those guys down, and that really hurts us. And we, I guess, we don't have players that are really stepping up and 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 are able to you will know, either make space for them or take over when they're being well held. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure how much how much the the midfield coaches has got to do with it, but you know, we definitely regressed. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, whether it's a structure issue or just a form issue, I'm not sure. I mean, Lobie's form has definitely played a bit of a role in that. I mean, he, he did miss a, a fair chunk of the preseason and, and missed the first three games as well. But I mean, he, he's just not the player that we saw last year, and, and probably isn't the player that we hoped he would become. Which may sound a little bit harsh, but you know, it's at that point now. I think where you know he he, he tries hard, he competes hard, but he his hit out to advantage. Um, stat isn't very good, and look, he just can't mark the ball. I mean, sixteen marks at the halfway point of the season for a guy that's 200 centimetres tall is uh, is abominable, really. It's not Absolutely. sure Loby has the sort of skill to be the superstar Ruckman that we're all hoping that he could become. I think even somebody like Redden, who doesn't have Loby's work rate or Loby's fitness, but he's got... He can mark the ball. He's a much better sort of hit-out-to-advantage Ruckman, even if he doesn't win as many the same volume of hit out that Loby does and he might if Loby doesn't sort of work learn how to work with a second Ruckman which he's obviously going to have to do with Paddy Ryder then he might find himself playing SANFL while Redden plays AFL while, as soon as mm. Redden gets the fitness to do so so he thought yeah. he's probably got this year because I don't think Redden's ever going to overtake him as first choice this year but he's going to have to do it at some point because he doesn't have the sort of talent to override his work rate, which is great, but work rate's not always going to be enough on its own. Well, I mean, or, or whether we whether we uh, we end up with something like a Harvey coming in and being that ruck forward, that, playing the rider role and rider going into the uh, to the main ruck role. Uh, but I, I agree, he's going to have to whether it's uh, injury related or the fact that he hasn't had a good preseason, I'm not sure. But he's definitely regressed from last year, and he probably needed to play at least as well. Um, in terms of the ruck, probably the other. Uh, issue I've had is that we don't play Jackson Trengove in the ruck anymore and I think I've heard that he doesn't want to play or whatever but he was someone who used to come on late and jump over people's heads and win us games um, 
what I, 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 I'm not sure what the decision making is that's because this caused him to not want to play there anymore or to not be picked there anymore. But he he was a very dangerous ruckman late in games, especially against a tired ruckman after Lobie had been crashing and bashing into him all day. Uh, and obviously, you know, Westhoff's on the Everest been really a stopgap, but we saw some really dominant ruck performances from Trengo over the over the past couple of years. Why is he not really being used anymore? Um, is there something that's happened there? Is it an injury-related thing where he wants to protect his knees or whatever? I'm not sure, but I'm not really happy with it, and I don't see why. I don't see why he can't be used in the ruck a bit more than he has, especially when we're we're really struggling to get a lot of good hitouts. Yeah. And Trengo brings that aggressiveness into the middle of the ground as well, as we mentioned before. Lobie doesn't really have. He's got uh, seven hitouts for the year, Trengove. So I'll just check that on his against last year. Um, yeah, so last year he had 93 hitouts. This year he's got seven to halfway through the season. So, you know, like just, just that. Significantly you know, different. It's ridiculous, isn't it? And whether that's because they think they've brought Ryder in so they don't need him. But, I mean, we haven't had two Ruckman for most weeks. So, so we've been relying on Westhoff as a chop out. And uh, when we're getting killed in the Ruck... You know, for whatever reason they've made that decision for, I, I'd love to be out of here. I'd love to, to ask one of the coaches. So That's it. Look, let's move on to the forward line, which has also been quite dysfunctional so far this year. And look, before we get into the players, I think the first question that I want answered, and I know, um, Scorcho, you feel very strongly about this, but um, with Ryder out of the side over the last four or five weeks, have we really missed the boat in not bringing in another toll forward? Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, you know, I've been struggling up for years, and I was really, really vocal about it last year, uh, not playing Butcher more than we did. And, uh, and you know, we, we brought in Ryder, which seemed to me, uh, with a first-round pick, which seemed to be, for me, uh, a clear acknowledgement that we needed that extra toll. Uh, and then, as I said earlier on in the in the podcast, we, we blinked as soon as um, we got killed in the ruck again by Sandalins. Uh, and that was Ryder, who hadn't really had a preseason because because uh, of the, the suspension hanging over their heads, got killed in the ruck by Sandilands. Um, and then we blinked and brought in Redden, who wasn't fit. And then that didn't work because he was, you know, uh, nowhere near fit. And we panicked and stopped picking the toll. Uh, and it seems to be that we, we go through every year and we acknowledge, yeah, we probably need another target up there. We probably need someone to help out. Uh, and we'll pick them at the start and we'll talk about how important they are. And then we just do not follow through with that at all. Um, and then wonder why we can't take, you know, can't take marks up forward and wonder why we lack a target. And, um, and, and just for development as well, you know, both, I mean, I would have played, again, I would have played Butcher all year last year. And, you know, if Butcher wasn't fit this year or wasn't in form, Harvey, give him a game. Like, what's the worst that could happen at this stage? Yeah, and you see other teams will bring in, you know, young key forwards or young tolls and, and get them to play roles. And they're not expecting them to to get, you know, 10 marks and kick three goals. They're expecting them to get, you know, that, that kind of 10-touch, one-goal game where they just kind of structure a team up a bit. And that's what I'd yeah. like to see. But um, our coaches don't seem to have any interest in it. Uh, and not so we're, it's kind of a double whammy where we're not, def, you know, not developing that next key forward and it's hurting our structure. So it's just it boggles my mind, as uh, anyone who reads the forum regularly would know. Chilty? Mm. Well, I do agree, but... I think that you've seen a lot of people on the board recently sort of saying that the cause of all of our troubles is not playing an extra tall forward. But we didn't play Butcher last year or Harvey last year and we finished third. So we're clearly capable of playing with our current structure. So I think while 
I, I think it would be, considering that we're not going to win the flag this year, it would be good to develop a Hardy or somebody and to give him a chance to playing at AFL level and developing at AFL level, but it's not going to be the sort of answer to all my prayers that's going to instantly have us back playing finals. I guess just on that point, I'd argue that we, we kind of, I think we won in spite of not having um, a great structure last year. We run we won on the back of our fitness and that slingshot style that teams hadn't really figured out how to, how to stop. And I think now teams sit back against us because they know, you know, if they let us over the top, it's a goal every time. Uh, we, we've got too much talent up there if they give us space. Um, so now we're kicking into a forward line where we've got Westhoff, who was a good, pretty good contestant mark, but gets outbodied. We've got Schultz, who's more a mark on the lead. And, uh, we just seem to bomb the ball into their heads and hope it'll happen for us. And, of course, it doesn't happen for us, uh, and the ball comes back out. So, you know, I think, you know, and I, I think that was a bit of what happened last year. We we very stupidly, I think, dropped Butcher for that uh, for that Brisbane game, and it, it just worked because we were winning. So, you know, we're winning, so why change anything? And then later in the year when we, we lost a couple of tolls, we all of a sudden had to use Westhoff down back, and... Uh, we had no one to kick to up forward, and we lost games that we should have won because we elected not to play extra tall players. Um, mm. And and it's it's just been an ongoing thing where this coaching regime doesn't, you know, they they talk in preseasons about how important that extra key forward is, but then when it comes down to the crunch of actually picking one, they're like, oh no, you know, we'll play safe and play a play a Kane Mitchell instead, and you know how you know what does that really achieve? Not much, I would argue. Yeah. I think that no, that's big- right. I think the big disappointment in terms of not playing key forward is that Mason Shaw hasn't been able to get any form. I think he's the one who would have been played if he was available and in form. It seems that there's been a line through Butcher and Mitch Harvey probably doesn't have the aerobic capacity to play AFL at this stage, but Shaw's the one who is sort of tall enough and fit enough and athletic enough that he could probably be a player who could get the 10 touches and one goal a game and straighten us up, but he just hasn't yeah. get on the park oh, at all. Yeah. And when he has, he hasn't really had any sort of influence in the SANFL this year. And look, he's becoming a bit of a disappointment, Mason Shaw, in terms of his body just not being able to hold up. And, you know, hopefully he chooses to stay and hopefully he can have a bit of an injury-free pre-season and get a bit of a fair crack at it. Because I feel that if he can get sort of 10, 11, 12 games on the trot, that he might become, you know, that sort of player that can come in and, and do a, a pretty good role. And, you know, he's a really good contestant, Mark. Fantastic kick for goal and, you know, reasonably quick on the lead as well. So he's exactly the sort of player that we, you know, want to have in that sort of forward line. But I guess my next question is that do you think that either Sam Gray or Jake Need are going to make it as key forwards? <laughs> um I'd say if we're going to play that kind of player as a key forward, it'll be Chad Wingard. <laughs> and he's been played as a full forward for quite a lot of the last couple of years. So um, Kane Mitchell yeah. unlucky, I think, as well. Oh, yeah, you know. Because yeah. <laughs> that's also been very frustrating, is the fact that, you know, quite often we will have no one to kick it to except for, you know, Sam Gray, who's being marked by Harry Taylor and Andrew Mackey sort of thing. Yeah. Who is so never, ever going to win that sort of contest. Back. Yeah, exactly and, right. And 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 that and that's an issue where teams will commit those guys back, and they'll they'll let us have our chip arounds on the half back line, but they'll make sure they keep their players back, knowing that we're going to go you know bang bang and just try and move the ball at light speed into the uh, into the forward line. They're going to have a loose player there, and they they're usually going to have both players who are bigger and stronger than the guys we're kicking to. Uh, and I, I mean, it happened a bit last year. It definitely. I mean, we a, a lot of last year we were playing Chad Wingard as a 
as effectively a full forward. And he was having that exact same thing happen to him. Um, and, you know, I was screaming out for another key forward to be, uh, to, to be picked, I guess. But, um, yeah, well, it's not something they seem to want to address. So I'd hope for the second half of the year we see, well, I, I mean, I, I don't know who you pick, whether you put, pick Butcher or Harvey and just, you know, just go with it. And, you know, what what's the point of, you know, uh, keeping up appearances now? We need to develop one of these guys. Um, so mm. whoever we think is better and more AFL ready, pick him and play him um, and, and just see if the structure makes a difference. Uh, we, we just we flirted with it over the past few years without actually giving it a proper run. Uh, and we've been happy instead to pick the likes of Gray and Mitchell who, you know, look good when we're winning, but don't really add a lot when we're when we need help. Yeah. Schultz's season, he's kicked uh, five goals in our seven losses, 20 goals in our five wins so far. So he's been, uh, you know, a little bit of a disappointment as well in terms of his uh, consistency this season. I guess he's a, he's a bit of a, a symptom of what's going on in the midfield and what's going on with the rest of our ball movement and, and, and not having the space in the forward line to lead. Uh, and so when teams will take us on a little bit more and not sit back so much, he's got a bit more space and he can kind of do his thing. But I, I guess based on that, I don't fault him too much on not having a lot of impact because he, he, he can only work with what he gets and he's taking a lot of marks up on the wing and that kind of stuff. But that's, that's all the only place he's, he's getting it kicked to him. But, um, what has been disappointing is him missing set shots, which should be bread and butter, you know, put it in the book. Um, and and he's, he's missed a few that have really hurt us and cost us games. Uh, and you don't expect that from him. No. Well, you say we need an extra key forward, but it might just be that we need to play the key forward we actually have as the key forward. When <laughs> Schultz is running around on the wing and kind of half back, a, it screws up our forward structure, and B, you just mentioned that he misses a lot of shots, and that's probably because he's buggered because he's been running around the entire field. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I know Kenny said a couple of years ago that he wanted Schultz to sort of expand his role and you know, not be afraid to leave the forward 50, but you know, I, I feel like uh, if he's leaving the sort of forward 60-metre arc, then you know, we're sort of you know, screwing the pooch a little bit there, I think. I mean, he's 30 years old and he looks like he's 45 years old. <laughs> Only so Very much true. can ask of him. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's, absolutely. So I guess the uh, the question that um, I've got to ask is, what can we achieve for the rest of this season? Can we turn it around this year? Are we still a sneaky chance for the finals? What happens if we beat Sydney this week? Uh, I'd we... say, yeah, sorry, go on. We might be, we might have been a sneaky chance finals if it wasn't for the fact that we've got double up games against the three best teams in the competition that we're going to probably lose and end up five ten, and then we're going to have to win every fifty fifty game for the rest of the year. And this year we've struggled to win what should be ninety ten games, let alone fifty fifty games. Mm. I think uh, look, we're still a sneaky chance for finals because we we still got that ability and talent to catch fire and and dominate some teams uh, and go on a run. But you'd expect that we'd miss. So, you know, what what I would be expecting for this year is that we have some questions answered about the state of our list, and uh, and at the end of the year we can we can make our delistings and make our trades uh, with a bit more knowledge than we currently have. Um, Obviously, we've used a lot of players this year, but we, you know, we've talked a lot tonight about the the key forward issue. Um, I would I would expect that some of those guys would be played, uh, and we, you know, we would be 
over the next few weeks, drawing some lines through some players, identifying some players as trade bait, and you know, figuring out where we where we are going forward with that key forward role. Because you know, we've just drafted another one in Howard who looks talented again. We can't just keep drafting them. Um, I mean, some would argue that you draft a tall forward every year, but. You, you, we, we've got plenty on our list. We're just actually going to play them and get them in the AFL side. And I, I'd like to know by the end of the year, um, if, if nothing else, whether uh, Butcher or Harvey uh, or Shaw, if he gets fit, have any ability at AFL level. Mm. So where do, where do they fit in? I mean, do we drop Loby and just play Ryder as a sole ruck? Because I can't see us playing. That was another question that we asked at the start of the season was, can we play the two rucks and also three key forwards in the same team? And, doesn't look like they want to go down that sort of structure. Yeah, I look. I mean, I'd, I mean, yes. If Loby plays as badly as he is playing, then yes, we can. And um, you know, we can use Trengo more in the ruck. And as I said, I'm I'm not happy with how we've used him. But uh, if Harvey's the one that comes in, he plays as a ruckman half the time anyway. So you know, he he can pitch it in the ruck uh, and play that kind of ruck forward role. Um, but I mean, ultimately, the way we're doing it now isn't working. And and you know, we've most of the time we've played uh, really short and I, I'd rather we go three key, you know, three key forwards and two ruckman and maybe swing Westhoff to more of a wing role or something like that. Uh, Cause yep. he can't play there. Uh, but you know, if we get to the end of the year and Harvey and Butcher haven't played any more games at all, or say any of our developing forwards haven't played another game of AFL football, it will just be a big wasted opportunity and it'll be a big waste of a year. Um, you'd hope Absolutely. we get something out of the year uh, in, in terms of that. And I, I'll be very, very disappointed if neither of those guys play some AFL football uh, in the second half of the season. I think Westhoff's versatility hurts as much as it can be an asset. It can also hurt us a bit because, as you say, he gets moved all around the field. And it means that when he does get moved all around the field, we've only got one key forward. But then you don't want to sort of Schultz and Westhoff and Butcher and Ryder and Loby in the same side because it starts to look too tall. But then when Westhoff goes to half back, it looks too short. So, mm. yeah. a bit of a I mean, I, big yeah. coaching issue. And it's, I guess he's not the only player that that's happened to. I guess Paul Stewart's a bit the same, or he's played every different role apart from Ruckman, basically. So, you know, and now he's kind of, you know, uh, you know doesn't really have a role in the team. And Westhoff still is good enough and, and has a, a unique kind of skill set enough that he can he can have an impact. But, yeah, he's probably had that issue where he just gets thrown everywhere. And um, I think the, the, the chess queen is the... Uh, is the, the term that's been used and that can look really good when it's working. But obviously when we're struggling, it doesn't work. And, uh, and we don't have anyone up for, we don't have those targets and, and we definitely don't have a big, strong marking target, probably apart from Ryder. Um, and with Ryder being out, you know, Loby doesn't take marks. Schultz is a, a you know, an elite mark on the lead, but not an overhead, you know, not really an overhead marker or a pack marker and, and Westhoff can be, but isn't always. So, I, I would want us to pick another toll, as I've said. Um, if, if for nothing else, just to learn a bit more about our, the current structure of our list uh, and that hole that we have at the moment in the key four position. Yep. Now, I'm just going to list some names. I just want a yes or a no answer to this question of whether they are going to be on the list for 2016. So the first player I've got is Kane Mitchell. No. Hope not. Hope not. Well, hope not, yeah. <laughs> I'm going, to, yeah. I'm going to say yes. I think he will. Oh, hang on. Are we saying whether we want them to be or whether we think they will be? 
they might Whether be we up. think they will be. Oh, yeah. Oh, then, yes, I think he will be. <laughs> I'm still going to say no, because looking at this list, you struggle to see players who we're going to get rid of, and I think he might be maybe the bottom one on the list. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, Aaron Young? Yeah. Yes. I'm going to say no for that one. Sammy Gray? No. No. I'm going to say yes for that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul Stewart? Uh, Remembering rookie. he's got a year left on his contract. I think we'll do what we did with Logan and rookie him. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I think that's uh, exactly what's going to happen. Uh, Brendan Archie? Yes. Yeah. Yes, for me as well. Uh, Tom Cleary? Oh, yes. but forget about yes. him because he just signed a long-term contract. Yeah. He? So <laughs> that's it. Uh, Andrew Moore? Yes, unless we trade him. Yes, unless we trade him. Yeah, I think we will trade him. Uh, Jared Redden? Yeah. Yes. I'm going to say no. I think he's going to be dropped and re-rookied. Oh, okay. uh, John, but- John Butcher? No. 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 And Cam O'Shea? Trade bait, I think. Mm. But, I, again, he, he, yeah, he, he's not going to have any value if he doesn't play. So, unless he, uh, he he does the thing he did last year and you know, f- remembers how to play football halfway through the year, he's not going to be worth a lot. But, at the same time, I, I'd be surprised if no one looked at him if we were offering up for trade. Yeah. I hope I he's on the list because I reckon the best of Cam O'Shea is bloody awesome, but he just needs to pull his finger out and show something at the moment. Yeah. Agreed. I think this would, this would probably be a bad time to trade him because he would have been worth the second rounder if we traded him to the Saints or something last year when they were interested. But now we struggle to get a late third or an early fourth or another form season at the moment. Yeah. yeah. That's it. All right, boys. I think we might leave it there. It's been a long one. Thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on and uh, chatting about this uh, wonderful season that has been 2015 so far. No worries. Yeah, happy to, always happy to come on. Hopefully, uh, yeah, some more fun games to talk about instead of the, the dreary season we've had uh, next time I'm on. But, yeah. And thanks again, thanks. Shorty. Yep, thanks for having me. I'm about to go cry in my bathtub, but not that, <laughs> fun. That's it. All right, boys, count the power. No worries. Go to the power. And the power. And the power away by Michael at ground level. Here's a chance for Stevens. Stevens goes high and long towards the goal square. Two or two, Burgoyne almost brought it down. Here's James. He's had a marvellous game. He puts him in front. Brilliant goal. What a classic. Roger James gets his second.